But I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me confess that my remarks today are directed primarily at this outstanding group of graduates assembled today, most of them graduating from high school, but some of them, many of them from the university in a few days. Perhaps one of the most outstanding groups, as Kevin indicated, that we've had come through this church in many years. They have more access, access to more knowledge than any generation heretofore, and they're faced with more challenges and more problems than any generation before them. And yet I can say today, uh, without any fear of contradiction, or unequivocally I can say, what I believe in my heart is that they're equal to the day in which they live. They've already proved that, and they will prove it again. Have you ever wondered why some people just seem to rise above the crowd? They just seem to, to rise above others in excellence. And they're surrounded by people that just kind of muddle around in mediocrity, and they move toward excellence. And they just seem to be a cut above everybody else. Have you ever wondered how they achieve that? I believe that there are some principles that that separate those who are mired in mediocrity from those who achieve excellence. And those principles apply in any age, to any age. And there's absolutely um, no circumstance in life that should prevent you from learning these principles and growing through them. And they will not allow you to have everything you want. That's not it at all. But they will allow you to do better what you already do. And they will allow you to achieve excellence. First, decide where you're going. The Apostle Paul said, I have this one goal and I go for this goal. A family embarked on a vacation that was going to require several days to get there. And after about the third day from the back seat, a tired little voice said, Dad, when we get where we're going, where will we be? And not, that's not a bad question to ask about life. For there is no factor that affects the quality of your life any more than the goal you choose for yourself. What do you want in life? Where are you going? What is your determined destination? A study was made of 200 people who had achieved excellence, the most successful people in the world, and they sought to find some common denominator of that success. And they found several factors that were similar in, in almost everybody, but there was one common denominator that was found in every one of these successful people. It was that they aimed their life towards some goal and were never diverted from it. They had something to live for. And then they made a study of the people, some people, scores of them who had committed suicide. They found one common denominator. They felt like that there was nothing to live for in life. There was no goal that they could see. 
I don't know how many times we are told that we need, to, we need to discover who we are. You don't discover who you are. You decide who you are. And that decision is made on the basis of the choices you make in life. There is power and purpose. Now, I'm not going to tell anybody this morning that if you establish a goal for your life, you'll automatically you know, meet that goal, because that's not true. There'll be many obstacles in the way in the achieving of a goal. One of them is opposition. Rumor has it that Walt Disney, when he gets this, one of these fantastic ideas that he had, he would ask several people what they thought about it. And if they were unanimous in their opposition, that's the one he'd do. That's the one he'd choose. Because he figured that a goal that everybody was against was a worthy goal. You'll encounter opposition. And then you'll encounter laziness. The question is this morning, how bad do you want excellence? And how hungry are you to be above those around you? How much are you willing to pay to get beyond mediocrity? You see, the problem with mediocrity is not the lack of ability. It's really not the lack of opportunity. It's the lack of desire. And a young housewife went to the door to answer the door one day, and there stood this door-to-door salesman. He was hawking his labor-saving device. Why, well, he said, ma'am, he said, if you choose this, if you'll buy this labor-saving device, it'll cut your housework in half. And she said, you mean if I got that, it would cut my housework in half? He said, I guarantee it. She said, I'll take two. <laughs> there are no labor-saving devices. And there are no shortcuts to excellence. If you are excellent, if you succeed, it'll cost you greatly. It cost P- Pistol Pete Maravich a discipline. He was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. He spent four years at LSU and averaged over 44 points in all four years of college. He spent 10 years in professional basketball and averaged over 21 points and five assists. He called himself a basketball android. He carried a basketball with him everywhere he went. He slept with one until he was 14 years of age. And everywhere he went, he dribbled the basketball, of course. And he'd ride his bicycle two and a half miles into town. He'd dribble that basketball, sometimes over rough roads, sometimes over gravel, believe it or not, and sometimes through mud holes. He dribbled that basketball. He said it was just an extension of his arm. No wonder. He was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. No wonder he was called the crown prince of basketball magic. He was willing to accept the discipline to pay the price for excellence. Where are you going? Secondly, don't be diverted by any side roads. Don't let anything detour you from your goal. Somebody said a fanatic is a person who never changes his mind and never changes the subject. The Apostle Paul never changed his mind. He went to the goal and he never changed the subject. That was all he talked about. There is a fable about this magnificent bloodhound that was chasing this stag through the forest. A magnificent hunt. And as he pursued this stag through the forest, the fox jumped up and he got sidetracked. He started chasing the fox. And a rabbit jumped up. And he turned and started chasing the rabbit, and a field mouse jumped up. And he started chasing the field mouse. And what started out as a magnificent pursuit of a bloodhound pursuing a stag wound up with this magnificent animal chasing a field mouse. He got sidetracked. One day a father was talking to his graduating son and said, Son, I don't want you to ever be sidetracked from your vision or your goal. 
He said the great people never get sidetracked. He said there was Robert Fulton, and because he didn't get sidetracked, we have the steam engine. And he said there's Thomas Edison. Sometimes his experiments required a, a thousand failures, but he never got sidetracked. And then there's Albert Einstein and, and Virgil MacPringle. And the boy said, wait a minute, who's Virgil MacPringle? He said, see there, you never heard of him. He got sidetracked. <laughs> now there's some, there are many things that could have sidetracked the Apostle Paul. If there ever was a person who could have gotten diverted from the goal, it was this man. Rejected by his own people, persecuted by the Romans, failure after failure. If there ever was somebody who could have experienced self-pity, and those are the two greatest sidetracks, detours, failure and self-pity, it was this man. The year was 1904, and the event was the Louisiana Purchase Exposition in St. Louis. The locals called it the St. Louis World's Fair. And they had hundreds of, um, of vendors there. One of them was an ice cream vendor, and one of them was a waffle vendor. The, the, the waffle vendor miscalculated. He, he ran out of plates. And nobody would share, you know, sell him any plates or give him any plates. And he, he, he was a failure. That night, one of the ice, cream, the ice cream vendor came to him and said, you know, the weather's kind of chilly and I haven't been able to move much ice cream. He said, I'll give you some, I'll sell you some ice cream and, and he can recoup some of your losses. But he had a vision. He was a waffle salesman. So that night, he made a thousand waffles. And while they were hot, he pressed them out thin and flat, and he rolled them up that night, a thousand of them, made a little circle kind of a cone kind of thing. And the next day, he put ice cream in them, and Eureka, the cream cone, the ice cream cone was born. And sometimes self-pity gets you sidetracked. Carl Joseph was a great athlete. Tony, he was a star middle guard for the Madison High School Cougars of Madison, Florida. He averaged 13 solo tackles a game. He was a tremendous defensive player. He was particularly effective on the pass rush. And if, if you ever flushed the quarterback out of the pocket, Carl Joseph had such quickness, he would always get the tackle. One, one game that was the homecoming game, he led his team in 13 solo tackles and beat the number one team in the state, six points. He was a great athlete, football player, but he's, he's also a great athlete. He could slam dunk a basketball. He could high jump five feet ten. It wasn't anything he couldn't do. Carl Joseph. You say, what's the spectacular about that? Well, he had one leg. He was born with one leg. And when he was old enough to think about the problem, he thought to himself, I can, I can sit down and wallow in self-pity, or I can achieve excellence. I'm not going to get sidetracked. And thus he did. Third key. Learn to see things as they can be, not as they are or seem to be. The Apostle Paul said, I've not yet attained, but I see. What was this obtaining he's talking about? He's talking about perfection. You see, I, I see it as a goal. I see it as a dream. I see it as a, as a plan God has for me that I might be everything that God has created me to be. I can see that. I'm going for it. He learned to see things as they could be. One of my favorite Old Testament characters is Elisha. Probably not heard too much about Elisha. He lived down in Dothan and he was troubled to the king of Syria. So the king sent an army down to Dothan to wipe him out. I mean, he sent a whole army for one man. 
And he had a servant boy, and one day the servant boy looked out the window and said, Shazam, that might have been what he said, it might have been something else. He said, looky here, this tittle train, look at all these soldiers here, Elisha, we're done, we're finished. And Elisha said, no, they that are, are for us, they that are with us are greater than them. And he must have looked around and thought, where are they? If there are more folks for us than they are for them. And Elisha prayed. He said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant that he can see, so he can see. And he looked out the window the second time and saw horsemen round about Elijah and chariots of fire. And the servant saw the problem. And Elisha saw the problem solver. I ask everybody in this room this morning, how, which is the greater? Your problem or your problem solver? He saw the problem solver, and he knew what he had going for him was greater than what they had going for them. And the servant saw the obstacle, and Elisha saw the opportunity, and because he saw the opportunity, failure, defeat, didn't seem possible, and, and surrender was not an option. Two men bumped together into, into each other in a railroad station in Austria. One of them was a beggar, a drunk, a bum, begging for money so he could buy another drink. The other man was a businessman on his way to a conference, very successful. And the businessman looked at the bum and he said, How did you get yourself into this? He said, Why would you allow yourself to get this way? And the bum said, I didn't have a chance in life. He said, I grew up in a large family. My mother died when we were young. My father abused us. And he said, long came World War I and our family got scattered. I haven't even seen my family since, my brothers or my sisters. He said, I didn't have a chance. The other man said, you know, your life sounds a whole lot like mine. He said, I too was raised in a large family. My mother died when I was young. And our father abused us. And along came the war and we got scattered. He said, I, I haven't seen my family since either. He said, I determined when all that happened that I could, I could sit down and, and, and I could give in to the circumstances of my life or I could, I, I could see something I could become. And I went for that. And as they talked, they discovered they were blood brothers. And one saw things as they were, and the other saw things as they could be. Number four, and there are just five. You can take heart in that. Four and five are real short. Fourth key. Don't just live for yourself. Determine that you're going to live your life for others. I hope you'll sing that. I saw some of you singing with your heart that song, Here is My Life. And there is this groan that comes from the world. People who are caught up in the bondages that cause people to groan. And Paul says in the book of Romans that this world waits with eager longing. The word means it sighs for the coming of the sons of men people who are willing to live their lives for others than themselves. And a the little boy walked out of there 
summer vacation cabin and saw his father planting a tree by the corner of that cabin. He said, Dad, why are you planting that tree there? We won't be here next year. And the father said, somebody else will. And kind of took him back a little bit. And so he said to his dad, he said, what do you call that? He said, it's a century plant. He said, you mean it only blooms once a hundred years? He said, no, probably 20 or 30. He said, well, why are you planting a plant that will not bloom for 20 or 30 years? And the father said, for that person who will come by here 20 years from now. Do you know how much you owe to the people who have gone before you? Do you know how much you owe? You owe your very existence to the male and female who cooperated in your creation. You owe your survival to your parents or to your guardian who cared for you when, nobody, when you could not care for yourself. You, know the, you owe the knowledge that you have accumulated to the people over the past who have stored that knowledge up and presented it to you. And regardless of how limited you are in life, you owe your freedom, your survival, your freedom to people who paid so that you can have it. You're such, in such debt, so am I. And Brian Harbour describes it for us. Would you live this cute little thing? He said, The typical American wakes up in the morning garbed in pajamas, a garment of East Indian origin, and quickly looks at the clock, a medieval, medieval European invention. He rushes to the bathroom to shave, a rite developed by the priests of Egypt, and looks into a glass invented by the Egyptians. And he washes with soap invented by the ancient Gauls, and dries himself with a Turkish towel. He pulls on clothes, many of which are from Japan or Korea, and he fastens them with buttons which first appeared in Europe. He puts his feet into leather tanned in Argentina, ties about his neck a strip of colored cloth, which is a survival of the shoulder shawls, shawls, easy for you to say, shawls, worn by the 17th century croats. When he goes to breakfast, before him in pottery vessels known as china is an orange domesticated around the Mediterranean, a cup of coffee from Brazil, and waffles originally served in Scandinavia. After breakfast, he reaches for a piece of molded felt invented by nomads of Eastern Asia, we call a briefcase. If he lives in a big city, he takes the interurban train to work an English invention. He buys a newspaper with coins invented in ancient Libya and reads the news in letter characters invented by the Semites and provided for him by a printing process invented in Germany on paper material invented in China. And he calls himself an American. And that name comes from Amerigo Vespucius, an Italian geographer. We owe ourselves to a lot, don't we? This is the final word I'll ever say, probably, to all of you gather here at one time. The key to success is developing a relationship with a living God. Now, all I've said to this point 
is secondary to this point. Is that the people who really matter in this world are the people who have known and who know the living God in a personal way. And I can tell you that when it you know when you leave the security and the shelter and the influence and the, the dominion and the restriction and the parameters of your parents' home, that is the toughest principle of all to work out. To develop a relationship with God that enables you to say no to the wrong things and yes to the right. And a young boy was getting out of college and he went to his pastor. And he said, Pastor... I don't really know if I know the Lord in a personal way or not. He said, I, I don't think I can pray. He said, I have a hard time praying. He said, well, after they their discussed that several times, he said, really, I think what's the matter here is that you're tr- making it too difficult. He said, why don't you, instead of working so hard at trying to pray, he said, why don't you just pull up a chair in front of you and just talk to God? as a friend. And that's what he did. And he did that until he was stricken with cancer. And in his room, sick, dying, 40 years later, his daughter was there, sitting, caring for him. He said, Honey, why don't you go on and get a little break? And said, I'm okay. You can come back after a while. So she'd been there for days. And she went out to get a little break. When she came back in, he died. And the doctor was there, and she said, I'm just crushed that I wasn't here. He said, how did it happen? She, he said, well, I was in to see him just a few minutes before he died. And said he said before I left, could you move that chair up here by the bed? And he said, I, there, I'm, there I go. He said, I moved this chair by the bed and I came back about five minutes later and his hand was out in the chair and he was gone. This is the edge of cultivation. So they said, and I believed them. So I tilled my land and planted my crop, built my barn and stretched my fences in the little barter station tucked away beneath the foothills where the trails run out and stop. Till a voice as bad as conscience rang on interminable changes, everlasting whisper, day and night repeated so. Go and look beyond the ranges. Something lost beyond the ranges waiting for you. Go and find it. And the whisper that comes to us all is the call to excellence. If not you, who? If not here, where? If not now, when? Let's pray.
Father, never let us be satisfied with doing what everybody else does. Call us beyond that to the achievement, excellence, to a personal relationship with the living God who created us, who has a plan for us. For I ask in Jesus' name, for His sake. Now I have observed, an old white-haired man has observed, that sometimes we all need the example and the encouragement of others. And even though I have tried to direct these remarks to a kind of a challenge to young people, the challenge this morning goes all across this church building. For us to be the best Christian there is to be, the best parent there is to be, the best student there is to be, that's the call. And it might be that some of you need this morning, as adults, older adults, come today as an example of a commitment to be what you're not. Some of you may need to come and join the church. I challenge you to come on and do that. Some of you need today to put your hand in God's hand for the first time to experience personal salvation. Come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Some of you need to come today to say, I've been content with less than the best, less than even I promised I would be when I got saved. Maybe out of this group of young people, you've gone the way the crowd goes. You want to make a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ, total commitment. So I'm going to ask you to come unashamedly, without embarrassment, without uh, hesitation, just step out and come while we stand. We invite you to come.